first edition of Beat the Closing number of the 2023 NFL season is underway. I'm Eli Herskovich with my regular co-host, Mo Nawara. You can follow Mo on Twitter at Mo Nawara. That's two W's. You can follow me on Twitter at Eli Herskovich. Our guest in a bit will be Fabian Summer. But just giving you guys a little bit of context before we get rolling here on the podcast, what to expect this NFL betting season. First up, Give the video a thumbs up and ring the bell to get notifications whenever the lines releases a new sports betting podcast on any betting market, including the NFL. And remember to subscribe, rate, and review, hopefully a five-star review if you like the podcast on Apple or Spotify, depending on where you're checking us out. The schedule for the NFL season, Mondays, we'll be doing a special edition looking at the quote-unquote opening odds, even though there will very likely be some line movement late Sunday night into Monday morning. But Mondays and Thursdays, Thursdays will be our quote-unquote best bets with a guest like Fabian. So Sumo will be joining us later on in the podcast. But Mo, it's going to be back for another season. Hopefully Nicole doesn't jinx my futures bet again. Well, she won't be on, so that's a good thing. Spoiler alert, I think you already did it with your making an awful bet, but we'll talk about that later. <laughs> so excitement level, Mo, scale of one to 10, especially on the betting front. Very high, very high. Sick of these baseball beats. Another one right now, they announce Aaron Judge out 10 minutes after I make my wager. And yeah, just just tired of it. Ready for rosters to expand, not to bet on these bum teams anymore. And ready to watch a good sport. Moe's a great baseball better. He's in the midst of a grind. And 162 came back at season plus the playoffs. You can check out Moe's baseball bets in our free Discord channel. The link is at thelines.com in the top right-hand corner. So I mentioned Suma's going to be joining us later on in the podcast. But AFC North Futures leading off the show. AFC South following suit. NFC East, NFC South. But Mo, I want to get started with, like I mentioned, probably the best division in football. Bengals, Ravens, Browns. Spoiler alert, another one. Second of the podcast. I know you're high on Cleveland. You'll touch on them here in a bit. And of course, the Steelers. So first bet for me that I want to get to, Bengals win total under 11 and a half. The current market is at minus 140. I bet this at Minus 120 back in May. So got a better number. I think most books have this down to 10 and a half. Juiced fairly heavily towards the over when Burrow got hurt late in camp, which you would expect some sort of a, an adjustment just for protection. But now that Burrow's back, the market is back up to May standards, early June standards. I think Burrow got hurt in mid-July, mid to late July. But when I say Bengals under to you, What's your initial reaction before I dive in? My initial reaction is that I I haven't wagered on this and don't plan on wagering on the Bengals either way, but leaning the same way as you for sure, because I like the Steelers and the Browns more than the market. And you'll talk about Cleveland here in a bit, but no, I'm with you on Cincinnati at least being overvalued. We may disagree as to where there is value, even though I don't have a bet on a team to win this particular division. But like I mentioned with the Burrow injury scare, and just on that note, the Bengals haven't had a ton of 
negative injury luck over the last couple seasons. I know Chase got hurt last year, their number one corner also out for the back half of the season, middle to the back half of the season, including the playoffs. But speaking of Cincinnati's secondary, they lose both of their safeties, Jesse Bates and Von Bell, in the offseason. And I know the Bengals ranked top 10 in terms of EPA per dropback allowed. And then you look at Cincinnati's secondary entering this season. And granted, Awuzie is healthy, supposedly healthy, but Nick Scott and Daxton Hill, two below average safeties per PFF entering the fold. I don't think this Bengals defense is going to sniff top 10 in terms of EPA per dropback. And then you look at EPA a little bit more specifically, 45% of their opponent's dropback attempts were comprised of quarterbacks who ranked number 30 or worse in EPA. So that's a collection of injuries at the signal caller position and also just bad starting quarterbacks. And that's that was the highest rate in the NFL. So I, I'm not doubting the Bengals offense, especially from a passing standpoint, even though you can make your case against Zach Taylor for sure. And I, I do think this offensive line will be better than it was to begin last season just from a continuity standpoint. And also you get your former Chiefs left tackle, Orlando Brown, in the mix. But 10 plus wins, if you look at win totals over 10, 10 plus win totals have hit at a 41% clip over the last five years. And that's not to say you should bet against the Bengals, so win total under because of that fact, I guess. But I do think they're overvalued because the market isn't taking into account a worse secondary for sure. And especially when their statistical ranking last season was because in large part, the quarterbacks that they faced from a a luck rating too. That's a pretty amazing stat. (laughs) I I knew they faced several backups, uh, but uh, wow, that's yeah. Obviously the Ravens game stand out, but I think maybe Cooper rush too. Um, And they lost that game. Yeah. Uh, this team, I am with you across the board, uh, basically feeling the same way. Uh, just the way I'm looking at the team is just, and that's why, uh, the way I'm wanting to bet this team, I think I'm going to be looking for some overs early in the season because yeah, like you said, amazing weapons, obviously on offense, passing offense should be tremendous. Once again, hard to find any fault there, but, uh, yeah, I don't like this secondary, uh, tons of first and second year guys. Uh, both in the front line and in the depth. I I think even if things go well at some point for the secondary, like they're coordinated very well, right? By Lou Anarumo. They have a great, a great coach. So you could make the case he should be a head coach at this point. Yeah, like I think even if things go well for them, it will be something like the Chiefs last year where it's more so we see it in the back half of the season and there could be some right. growing pains early. Uh Awuzie is so good, man. I really like him but I don't tend to believe in cornerbacks coming off torn ACLs. We saw last year uh, uh, Tredavious White was not close to his normal self, right? So of all positions, like I, I know that, you know, medical science has advanced. I've had two torn ACLs rehabbed myself, and, <laughs> you know, I, I know that they can do great things, but of all positions, man, I, I just think corner, you're reacting, cutting so hard, running so hard up against some of the most amazing athletes on the planet. 
even losing a quarter of a step can be a big deal in that spot. So yeah, it's like you said, this secondary is very, very questionable. I think they could be in some shootouts. I know the total is kind of high for week one. So I'm not sure if that's the one for me, especially when we don't know what Deshaun Watson's going to bring to the table, but I'm liking some early season overs potentially with this team because I view them the same way as you do, a weak secondary and a great passing offense. And that should be a recipe for a lot of points. You mentioned that week one market against the Browns, most likely an improved Browns defense, especially up front. And you have defensive coordinator Jim Schwartz entering that coaching staff. But the Browns have given Burrow a lot of problems in previous years. I think they they won the first game on Monday Night Football with Brissett and then lost the second game, which was, I don't know the exact historical record for Burrow against the Browns, but one of his few victories for sure coming in that second game of the season, and that was with a rusty Watson to boot. But we're both fading the, the Bengals, even though you're not betting against them in regards to the win total market. So I'll go with my team that I like in the AFC North, and then you'll go and give your position on Cleveland here in a second. I like the Ravens, probably not a surprise to many, and Mo kind of alluded to it from the get-go. I bet them at 25-1 to to win the Super Bowl back in May, now sitting at 18-1, to pretty much a consensus price in the market. So if you look at the coordinator upgrade, I mentioned Schwartz for Cleveland, at defensive coordinator, if you look at Greg Roman and how he kind of held Baltimore, not kind of, how he held Baltimore's offense back when they were healthy, keyword health, and we'll get to that in a second. So Baltimore failed to rank higher than 15th, so about average league-wide in terms of pass rate over expectation, and they also to ra- failed to rank better than 22nd across the NFL in situation-neutral pace, which means they ran a pretty slow tempo across the board. Now you bring in Todd Munkin, who's coming off back-to-back national championships at Georgia. No, that doesn't correlate to success as an NFL offensive coordinator, even though he did have that during, what, three or four years with the Bucs. But during his tenure with the Bucs, relatively pass-heavy, relatively fast-paced, so that definitely does lean towards a positive outlook for Jackson, assuming he stays healthy. And the Bucs also averaged 10.6 air yards per throw when Munkin was their offensive coordinator. And that was with, you could make the case, below average quarterbacks. I think Winston was there for a little bit of Munkin's tenure with Tampa Bay. Lamar Jackson, MVP odds, plus 1,600 is the best price you're going to find at FanDuel Sportsbook. I get that that number may not seem appealing, especially from an award voting standpoint when he already won the MVP back in 2020. But going back to the notion that Roman did hold this Baltimore offense back, Ravens were 6-5 and five in one-score games last year, but they blew three separate leads. And the Miami game definitely stands out in the early portion of the season when they had an 80% plus win probability in the fourth quarter. And remember, Baltimore was up, I think, three touchdowns against the Dolphins going back to week two. You have a seemingly healthy receiving core. I think Mark Andrews has dealt with some preseason, uh, preseason nagging injury. Odell Beckham, you mentioned the ACL tear. He's coming off of that, but he didn't play last season. Bateman, I know, isn't fully 100%. You have a potential rookie of the year candidate, too. And Zay Flowers, who looks very explosive so far in training camp. And then 
J.K. Dobbins, again, another seemingly healthy player. So you have a very high ceiling offensively, which is why I like the bet from that perspective. And then injuries, yes, I know that's going to be your contradiction here, but Baltimore led the NFL in adjusted games lost due to injury back in 2021, so two years ago. They finished 25th last season, so they've had their fair share of negative injury luck. No, that doesn't mean it's going to flip over and the Ravens are all of a sudden going to become healthy. We've already seen that issue pop up with an injury-prone cornerback and their best defensive player, arguably, in Marlon Humphrey. And Harbaugh does expect him to be back within the first four weeks, but who knows in that regard. They did bring in Ronald Darby at corner, and then you added Jadavian Clowney, another injury-prone player, but he does improve that pass rush for a group up front that really needed it. And you think about this Baltimore defense, last point I want to make, Fifth fewest EPA per play allowed from week nine onward, which stems from acquiring Roquan Smith last season, the Bears' former middle linebacker. And from a scheduling standpoint, too, the only opponent that has a rest advantage on their entire slate is Miami looking ahead to week 17. So again, AFC is a gauntlet. I understand that if you're looking to bet on a team to come out of that conference. I totally understand it. Moe's a Chiefs fan, does not bet by his heart, but the sentiment is there. If you're going to take one team out of that conference, though, that isn't a heavy favorite to win it, I think it's Baltimore. So you can make your quick case against Baltimore for sure, and then we'll take a look at the Browns. Yeah, I think definitely some counterpoints to some of the things (laughs) that you like. Uh, I'm not... I'm not sold on uh, Todd Munkin for one. I think he's an odd fit with this roster. Um, I know you are excited because they're going to throw the ball, but when we've seen this offense at its best, it was using Lamar Jackson as <clears throat> a hammer in the running game, a multifaceted running game with, um, you know, reasonable running backs. And I don't like the weapons at all. Uh, I think it's a very, very questionable group of wide receivers. Uh, Man, multiple ACL tears, Odell. I just don't know if you can honestly expect him to perform at even a league average level at this point. And Rashad Bateman just has not been able to stay on the field. I I know that you want to say that they've been very unlucky, but I see tons of injury downside all over this offense. I mean, literally every position, pretty much. Quarterback, uh, Ronnie Stanley. I've already talked about the wide receivers. The the best predictor of future injury is past injury. So that's really a major issue. I mean, I'm agreeing with you in the sense of there could be a high upside for sure if people stay upright, but this many players with this much injury history, I'm having a hard time seeing it. Um, And like you said, the AFC is so brutal, such a really tough division too. I think the defense looks mediocre as well, to be honest with you, uh, on paper. I, I know that... John Harbaugh is going to do a good job and coach them right. up. And coaching staff wise, definitely have a plus every game for the most part. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't want to fade them. And I love Roquan Smith. Uh, he's, you won't find a bigger Roquan Smith fan than me back to his days at Georgia. Uh, but <laughs> like you said, the pass rush looks pretty light to me. I'm not convinced by really anyone besides Roquan in this front seven, to be honest. And then already injury is at cornerback. I don't know. I just, 
I find it hard to see a, a team with this many question marks and this much injury history coming out of just a brutal AFC. All right, so let's kick it to the Browns then. Because best price over at thelines.com. You could probably shout for any sort of futures over at thelines.com. Plus 400 is the best odds available, are the best odds available over at FanDuel Sportsbook and DraftKings, respectively. And again, a lot of different sign-up offers, too, if you want to head over to thelines.com while you're listening. But I'll let you have the floor here, Mo, why you like Cleveland, especially to win the division, which, again, I don't disagree with. And that's also why it's not like I'm doing a, a pair of bets here on Baltimore. I'm also high on the Browns. So... Upside-wise, if you're looking to, I'm not also necessarily advocating to bet two teams to win a singular division, even though they're both fairly high when it comes to plus money. Ravens, I think best number you could find is plus 240. Cleveland, like I mentioned, plus 400. But that said, I'm not betting into the Ravens, like I said, to win this division because I do like Cleveland. But go ahead, Mel. Yeah, how could anyone who watches football look at this roster and not see a lot of upside? I mean, the the Browns are loaded, man. I mean, I don't know if there's a more talented defense than this in the NFL. Uh, they're a bit thin. Which hasn't maybe. been the case. Yeah, like, they've had very good players, and they added more very good players. Uh, so you already touched on this a little bit before uh, when – I think, honestly, the biggest problem with the Browns last year was probably their defensive coordinator. I mean, Joe Woods being gone could be absolutely massive for this defense. I don't know that I'm, like, super high on Jim Schwartz or anything, but a veteran coach like him who has had success in the NFL uh, as a coordinator has got to be an upgrade on what Joe Woods was bringing to the table. Last year, this team got destroyed by opposing running games, and there's just, honestly not a great reason for it. I know that they've somewhat neglected run stopping in terms of that being like an attribute they're looking for in their players, but they, they might've fixed that this year, bringing in Dalvin Tomlinson and Shelby Harris. I mean, hopefully with those guys in the middle, they can actually stop a straight ahead run. And <laughs> the pass rush looks awesome. I mean, their third pass rusher. I, I honestly, I don't know how to pronounce this guy's name, but, uh, Obanio or whatever his name he's pretty good like and he's like on the bench I mean he would be a starter on most teams Zadarius Smith is their secondary guy this is just this pass rush is going to be awesome and I they're a bit thin in the back seven but the talent level of the starters is tremendous so one that even if you are not a fan of this Browns offense and think Deshaun is going to fall flat on his face again which I could totally see Man, there's a couple markets out there. Uh, Bet Rivers has 45 to 1 that this team will concede the fewest points. That is an absolutely insane price, uh, especially when you look at their schedule. So many games outdoors. We know Cleveland has a history of having some high winds. Usually once or twice a season, there will be something like 20 mile per hour winds that will push the total down to like 34. Uh, it's 20 to 1 on DraftKings. I think that's even still fine. Uh, as far as do the they, offense, how do they compare to the rest of the market teams around them of that price? So the favorites is like the 49ers. The Ravens are like nine to one, which I think is probably terrible. Uh, the Jets obviously are up there for good reason, Denver. Um, but I think if Cleveland, honestly, if they struggle on offense, that's only going to help this. <laughs> but 
I, I could see that happening for sure. I mean, Deshaun, we saw how bad he was last year. The roster is so good around him, though. If he's anything, if he's halfway to his old self, I mean, they have a solid group of pass catchers. I think bringing in Elijah Moore was a really nice move for them. And we obviously know they have an elite offensive line and an elite running game. Uh, the Browns have all the ingredients, honestly, to be right there with anybody. So I am, I think plus 400 is way too long. And in a division that, like you were saying at the beginning, all these teams are good. I mean, you're going to have a tough time running away from, from – I don't see anybody just like blowing away this division. So we go from probably the best division in football to definitely the worst in the AFC South. And you have a bet to win this division as well, which I can't say I disagree with, even though I'm not betting it myself. How are you looking at the AFC South, Mo, with the Jaguars, their consensus odds-on favorites to win the division after sitting at, it's just wild to look back at last year because Jacksonville gave Kansas City a run for their money in that divisional playoff game, especially in the first half. and maybe Somewhat. Could, right. You could correlate that to the Mahomes injury for sure. But you go from three and seven to a game against what? I the think they were back. 12 to one to win the division or something like that. Yeah, it was pretty, pretty high. And now you're now we're sitting here, uh, what, nine months later and their odds on favorites in a very, very crappy division. So it's it's warranted to an extent, except roster wise and roster construction, maybe. But then you look at pricing and injury luck as well, which I think is where you're going to be going with the team you bet to win this division, especially with the kind of negative injury luck that they dealt with to end it last year. Yeah. So the Jags. So when when I first started looking at AFC South a couple months ago for our initial podcast on Gridiron Gamble. If anybody doesn't know, that's my labor of love. Uh, we Mo dedicates are, his time to this podcast too. Let's not throw beat the closing number under well, the table. They give me money for this. It's different. That's you why that's paid. my labor of love. You don't get paid to work for Katina. That's what I'm saying. We get money here. That's oh, I see. I see. Love. Labor. Okay. It's one. your hobby. Yes. It's your hobby. So that's my labor of love. We we did our initial look in like May, I think, something like that. I looked at the AFC South and I was like having the same feeling that our uh, beloved boss, Steven, still has, which is he thinks the Jaguars are unbeatable in there. And I was just like, how are the Jags not going to win this division? I mean, by far the best head coach and quarterback combo in the AFC South, obviously. But... Honestly, honestly, the, the Nuck ad, I think, for the Titans was huge. And the more I look at this Jacksonville team, I do see some definite, definite question marks. Offensive line is a big one. Um, yeah, I want to get to that for a yeah, prop in a sec, but go ahead. Not sure about this line. It looks potentially bottom five for me. Calvin Ridley, I loved him when he was at Atlanta, but I mean, man, the history of these guys missing a year plus and coming back to football is so bad in recent years. And I, I'm not convinced by their secondary either. I'm not sure they're going to be able to stop opposing passing games. Yeah. Really thin roster overall. I, there's definitely some downside there. And when I look at this Titans team, 
like I said, the Nuck pickup, yeah, he's not what he used to be, for sure. Not a top five guy anymore, maybe not even top 10. Um, but did anybody need a competent wide receiver more than the Titans? I mean, this group was about to be led by Traylon Burks. That pushes everybody to a more reasonable role. We can get Traylon Burks, WR2, which is what he should be. Chigo Conquo was showing some flashes back half of last season. If those guys stay healthy, then I think Ryan Tannehill and Derrick Henry can bring a very bad offensive line to competence. It's not like this is a situation that's going to be new for them. They have been dealing with bad offensive lines for years. And you look at the coaching staff here, led by Mike Vrabel. When has a Mike Vrabel team ever underachieved? It just doesn't happen. So I really think there's more potential than the market does with this team. I like over seven and a half wins. I like plus 350 for the division. And when I'm looking at this defense, you touched on it already, hinted at it, with no team was racked by more injuries in the secondary than the Titans. Like, if you look at last year's numbers, they got shredded by opposing passing games. They were like bottom six or something, EPA yeah. per play allowed, uh, opposing passing games. There's actually talent in this secondary, though. They have used tons of high picks on players in the secondary in recent years. And yes, not all of them might contribute. I don't know if Caleb Farley is ever going to step on a football field. But I like the uh, Aziz Elshire pickup. I always thought he was pretty good for the 49ers. Uh, Jeffrey Simmons still there. He's a monster. Getting Harold Landry back. I think he didn't play a snap last year. Yeah, up front. That's up. I mean, that's a huge get. Yeah, for, they were second. You're not talking about an acquisition. You're just talking about negative injury luck. Yeah, and then just to throw throw it back to what you said about adjusted games lost, they were they were second in the NFL last year, and, and it was so concentrated in the secondary. I mean, they were running out just absolute gym teachers out there at times for backups. I mean, it was crazy. They're not going to be anywhere near that bad again, I don't think. So with a head coach that, like I said, is always getting his guys to play, I think the Titans have both a solid floor and a ceiling that's high enough to pass the Jaguars. So I want to touch on Jacksonville, and then you have another bet in this division, not necessarily from an upside standpoint. You mentioned, or we hit it off the top here with this division, Jags, odds-on favorites to win it. I think cheapest number you can get is at DraftKings at around minus 150. Again, price shop over at thelines.com. So... You mentioned offensive line, and they did showcase a top 10 pass block grade collectively per PFF, but the offensive line did rank dead last when it comes to rushing success rate from when you look at it purely from an offensive line standpoint, also per pro football focus. They lose Juwan Taylor to your Kansas City Chiefs. I'm going to keep referring them as your Kansas City Chiefs, and so you have a first-rounder in Anton Harrison being plugged in there at right tackle, but then you go on the opposite end, which I think you hit on Cam Robinson, who's going to be suspended for the first four games of the season. And Jacksonville also had a pretty favorable schedule last year. Now they're facing a first-place schedule, depending on how you want to look at it, whether you actually value the way point spreads are lined up or not. And... The run defense, in terms of opposing run defenses, isn't great. And that was a bet that I made that I wrote about in the Lions mailbag column 
weekly wager, I think it's called, and you could check out our free games to sign up for, win cash prizes, all that good stuff over at play.thelines.com. Travis Etienne's rushing prop is 925 and a half over at DraftKings. I bet the under there yesterday, not only from a run block standpoint and where Jacksonville chalked up last season, but again, the schedule does not fare well for much success on the ground for ETN coupled with the third round pick that they got to maybe supplant him down the road or at least split carries-ish. So I don't like Jacksonville. I'm not necessarily as high on Tennessee as you are to make a bet on the Titans to win this division, but what's the other one? Not a future per se, but win totals market. Second win total we're going to hit on, at least from a clear-cut bet. What do you got? I think the Colts could be extremely awful this year. I don't know if that's a hot take or not. I feel like there's some people who are a little bit optimistic on them. Yeah, you can get under four and a half wins plus 350 on DraftKings. Man, you have a completely unproven rookie head coach combined with a rookie quarterback who didn't produce in college. The pass catchers might be the league's worst. Not a fan of Pittman? I like Pittman. He's fine. Like, he should be a number two. It's a wasteland outside of that. Look at their tight ends. And Alec (laughs) Pierce? I mean, goodness gracious. This is... They're not doing... They're not doing Richardson any favors when it comes to that. And, And the offensive line... I know it's been elite at times in past years, but I don't even think this is your older brother's Colts offensive line. It's been degrading a little bit the last couple of years, has rated more in the middle of the pack, I think, last year for sure. And, man, look at this Colts secondary. This is an atrocious group. I mean, I think this defense is going to give up 24 points per game, and that's a major problem when your offense looks like it's built to win every game 2017 based on just Anthony Richardson plunging here and there to move the sticks and probably the most talented player might not take a snap for that team this year. I think the Colts could be extremely awful and yeah, I don't think the market is really crediting the downside where, where, where I see it here. Yeah, I was going to say two things. You mentioned Shaq Leonard on the back end. So injury luck maybe sways in his direction, but I don't think we have any sort of positive outlook or at least for sure guaranteed that's the commander of Indianapolis's defense. And then secondary wise, second point, the market, I don't think we have team totals out yet, but it's going to be pretty aggressively shaded towards the over, especially with the way the market is looking at Jacksonville right now, offensively and more specifically from a passing standpoint, projection-wise. So I'm not necessarily saying there's going to be value in taking a Jags team total over or anything like that, especially if that game gets to blowout territory, which if you're as low as Richardson or as low on Richardson as Mo is, maybe the Jags do get up a couple possessions and then grind out the clock methodically in the second half where Jacksonville may not even eclipse their team total over. But Jack's secondary is bad enough where maybe they could look, make Richardson look subpar or potentially par in week one, especially if the offensive line 
holds up. But so a couple bets there, or a few, I guess, if you want to include my ETN under bet from a season-long prop perspective. So we've done AFC North. We've done AFC South. So third division future we're going to hit on, though, the Dallas Cowboys. I bet them earlier in the week at plus 195 over at DraftKings Sportsbook. First area I want to touch on, interception luck. And in a positive sense for Dallas, especially Prescott, he was tied for first last year with Davis Mills, 15 picks in 2022. But then you look at his previous six seasons, and he was only picked off on 1.7% of his just under 3,000 pass attempts. So again, sample size-wise, maybe you could say that playing with a smaller sample size of games because he was out for a four or five game stretch last year. Maybe that correlates to a higher interception total in 2023. But then you look at a much larger sample size over six seasons, and it's not like Prescott's interception rate was anything glaring. So I do think he's going to be have a positive outlook when it comes to the turnover department. And also digging a little bit deeper in pro football focus, 20 turnover-worthy plays last year, league-wide turnover-worthy plays resulted in picks 77% of the time, just over that rate. And Prescott finished with a turnover-worthy play rate of 88.9%. So again, if you're in the belief, if you're in the camp that turnovers aren't predictive year over year, that's an increase of just over 12 percentage points from his, actually over 25 percentage points, 12 percentage points from the league average and 25 percentage points higher than his career average going back to the previous six seasons. Now, I I get the sentiment from the offensive coordinator position. You're going from Kellen Moore, who you could argue the Chargers have a higher outlook at OC with Justin Herbert and that offense collectively. And the Cowboys go from Moore to Brian Schottenheimer in a much slower tempo. I mentioned the antithesis of that with Baltimore. So the Cowboys and McCarthy also, his history doesn't necessarily counter what Schottenheimer may want to do with this Dallas offense. So that's the one glaring concern I do have because McCarthy and Schottenheimer could definitely tear this thing down, not maybe playoff odds if you're looking about Dallas to make the playoffs or anything like that, but at least tear this bet down to win the division because the Eagles roster-wise, roster construction-wise, definitely have a strong roster on both sides of the ball. But again, I mentioned the upside with Prescott seemingly there and also at running back. You get rid of Zeke Elliott. Tony Pollard is going to take the mantle of the carries. I know you have a season-long prop bet on Pollard that we'll hit on in a second. But if you look at EPA per play overall, Zeke ranked 105th out of 105 backs. Also ranked 105th out of 105 backs in success rate. So Pollard, on the flip side, third most yards after contact when playing behind Elliott. So yes, smaller sample of touches, but still the explosive carries are there. And also passing-wise, passing grade, As a receiver, among tailbacks who saw at least 50 total targets, none averaged more yards per catch or lower drop rate than Pollard. So maybe Deuce Vaughn eats into that touch load a bit, depending on how you want to look at his upside. I I get that he's, what, 5'6", and 
a very lean, not just a little bit lean. Sixth round rookie. Yeah, I I do think he handled his fair share of carries in college where maybe he's got Darren Sproles upside. Of course, the floor is low, but nevertheless, Pollard definitely has a higher upside within this offense. And I think the ceiling definitely is raised by Pollard collectively. And then you add in Brandon Cooks. So you have a true number two receiver. You could argue that his catch rate was pretty low if I'm going to grade him as a number two wideout. But I think you could also correlate his catch rate or negative catch rate because it was amongst his career lows to not having a true quarterback or at least an above average quarterback and bottom five quarterback when it comes to drop back EPA in Davis Mills last year. And then defensively, you add in Stephon Gilmore, sixth graded coverage corner per PFF. So, and that's for a top five defense, mind you, when it comes to the run against the run and the pass last year. So I really like Dallas. I mentioned Philly's downside overall for potential regression. I The offense definitely has a very high ceiling, but they had a ton of positive injury luck. And yeah, you could say Jalen Hurts got hurt in the back end of the year, but that was also when the Eagles wrapped up the number one overall seed. So take that into account. I mentioned the coordinator change. Maybe that has a bit of a negative effect, at least from the get-go when the Eagles schedule is fairly mid-to-back loaded. They have the Patriots, Vikings, Bucks, Commanders, and Rams to kick it off. So definitely mid-to-back loaded. And specifically, Cowboys, Chiefs, Bills, 49ers, and Seahawks all bundled in the middle-to-back end of that path. So not only from a win total standpoint, I think it's Philly overvalued, especially because you're leaving yourself no wiggle room for any sort of regression, whether it's injury-wise, coordinator-wise, or just from a from the sense that they only played two teams in the top 10 in DVOA in the regular season last year. That's excluding the Chiefs in the Super Bowl. And the conference championship game, of course, San Francisco didn't have a quarterback for most of that game. So uh, I'm low on the Eagles, lower on the Eagles than the market. And I like the price on Dallas at plus 195. What say you? With you in spirit on Dallas, not with you in the sense of being down whatsoever on the Eagles. I think they have built an absolutely incredible roster with... I know that you're wondering if maybe injuries could be more of an issue, but I honestly don't know if there's a team more insulated against injuries than the Eagles. They have built one of the deepest rosters I have ever seen in the NFL. And much better head coach. Uh, I just think both of these teams are great, to be honest. Um, I'm with you that the Cowboys should be very good, though. I have a couple of bets that I'll touch on real quick. Like you said, Tony Pollard over touchdowns. I like it a lot. I like Tony Pollard to lead the NFL in touchdowns, 22-1. to I think that is way off because Dallas is going to score a lot of points. He will handle a very large number of the touches, given who his backups are. And Dallas loves to run it in when they get close close to the end zone. Uh, they had 24 rushing touchdowns last year. That was second in the NFL behind the Eagles. Also like Micah Parsons to lead the NFL in sacks at 10 to 1. I have no idea how he can be 10 to 1 to lead the NFL in sacks when he is also <laughs> the favorite for defensive player of the year and he's plus 500 there. These numbers make no sense. One of them has to be off. How is so, he priced into the market <clears throat> in terms of the guys around him for sack leader? 
So he's like fourth, which is like really weird to me. If he's the favorite for defensive player of the year, there's no way he should be fourth in the sacks market. Um, I love the Gilmore ad, like you touched on. I thought he was rock solid every time I watched the Colts last year. That's part of yeah, the Yeah, that's a downgrade I'm for Indy, too. You way down their on their secondary, right? Yeah. And um, I think replacing Dalton Schultz, essentially, with Brandon Cooks should be a net positive. I know Schultz did good work for them, but Cooks is just a more explosive, more proven weapon. He's done it for so long. I know he's getting a little bit older. Same for... Gilmore, but I really didn't see any drop off for Gilmore and and Cooks. I know he's getting a little bit older, but he can still do it, man. I mean, he had multiple big games last year, and and honestly, selling him as the WR two might be a little bit strong. It's kind of a two point five situation where him and Gallup should be having pretty similar roles, I think. So, yeah, I, I think the Eagles are going to be very good. I just think, or I think Dallas is going to be very good. I just think the Eagles are going to be a bit better. What about win total? Anything there or maybe alternate win total over on the Cowboys? Because this could conceivably, you could have two teams in the NFC East that 11, 12 wins, maybe even 13, is within the ballpark of possibilities. Yeah, could absolutely see that. Could see the Eagles, I mean the Cowboys, uh, snatching the number one seed. Uh, That might be worth a look. Just because, like you said, the Eagles have such a tough schedule. And then you have a 49ers team that I think is a little bit overvalued overall. I think their roster has degraded a little bit more than people are realizing. So, um, yeah, I I think probably I'm a little higher on the Cowboys than the market. I just have a lot of respect for what the Eagles have put together. Makes sense. So, wrap it up here before we get to Suma. One of the best NFL batters around. You'll definitely want to stick around for that. NFC South Futures. We each have a couple. You definitely have a stronger take on this division than I do. I was kind of looking at it from a different market to attack it, especially with the favorite, considering this is the second worst division, maybe even the worst, but AFC South probably takes the crown, takes the cake there. Falcons, who the market has been very high on, their odds to win the division sliced from plus 350, I want to say, maybe plus 320, all the way down to plus 220 now. To win the NFC South. So market has taken a liking to Atlanta with Desmond Ritter in his second season. Arthur Smith, one of the favorites to win coach of the year. B. John Robinson, the favorite to win offensive rookie of the year. What do you make of the Falcons, Mel? Yeah, I will buzz through this real quick because we unfortunately have to move on, but I don't understand the Falcons love at all. A very high profile betting group released Falcons over as a play multiple months ago. I mean, whatever. I think it wasn't the worst bet ever, maybe at that number. But now it's like they're expected to be better than 500 when they might have the worst passing offense in the NFL, which, yeah, I mean, will they have a solid defense? Yeah, I like the moves they made. And I think this is a really good defense on paper, although still some downside. Very, very old up front. Very old up front. So any injuries there could torpedo things and... We know what drives winning in 2023. Passing drives winning. And we don't even know if this team has more than one decent target in the passing game. I mean, we don't know if Kyle Pitts is good. We're three years into his career now, and he hasn't done anything. I was a huge Kyle Pitts guy coming out. I loved him as a prospect. (laughs) But it hasn't worked out so far. And Ritter might be the worst quarterback in the NFL. I am completely baffled by the market love for the Falcons. Um, 
Again, a solid defense, a solid running game. This team was built to win in 1983. It's 2023, so I am not sure where that's going to get them. And I don't also like the fact that they built their team to win. Same thing as the Colts. They're playing in a dome, and they're building a team to try to win 20-17 to every game. So I don't get it. I don't like the head coach, I don't think. I haven't seen anything from him that makes me think he's going to be driving a better-than-expectation team. So I'm on Falcons under. I like the Panthers is the team I like, but I definitely understand that people like the Saints, and I could get behind that as well. So, yeah, and I don't disagree with your Falcons take. Maybe at a maybe at the opening price you could make the case because again this is where we talk about roster construction and you also made the case against it which is fair especially playing in a dome and when you get some more high profile offenses going up against them unlike Carolina even though you do like the Panthers you're talking about Bryce Young's first start coming in Week One I think the Panthers are three three and a half point dogs but just going the other way here I like it. New Orleans a little bit to win the division. I didn't bet that. But the way I looked at it, especially looking at their schedule, was considering Dennis Allen, their coach, was a consensus, maybe not consensus, considering he was still around 20, 25 to 1 to win coach of the year last year. But still, one of the more popular plays to win it after replacing Sean Payton. And then now we're coming into his second season. Yes, you could make the case that Mo, previous injuries don't necessarily correlate to positive injury luck. But if Michael Thomas is healthy for a full season, if Marshawn Lattimore is healthy for a full season, or at least 75, 80% of the games, if Marcus May is healthy, coaches will inadvertently get credit for that. And if New Orleans, if this schedule does play out to the way the projections see it happening, Derek Carr getting the second easiest schedule from an EPA per dropback standpoint when you look at opposing defenses and what they allowed last year. That's kind of the way I'm looking at it with Dennis Allen to win coach of the year. If this offense plays up to the projections, if their defense gets injury luck, and yeah, they lost some pieces up front, but they got some cheaper contracts there, and you still have one of the more reliable defensive ends in the league from a rushing and pass rush perspective. So Again, I'm not betting anyone to win the division. I'm not betting any sort of win totals here. But Dennis Allen to win coach of the year 25 to 1 after the way the market was perceiving him going into last season is maybe worth a look at anything there before we get to our guest. No, I, I kind of feel like <laughs> they're priced about where they should be. And yeah, the Saints are probably the clear cut best roster in that division and could definitely see them having a solid season. I, I do like Derek Carr over 22 and a half touchdowns quite a bit. I think that number is way too low. He's been one of the most durable quarterbacks in the NFL. And if the Saints have anything close to the season that the market is thinking they're going to have, I think he should fly over that pretty easily. All right. So that's our breakdown for division by division. Now we'll get to our guest here. One of the best pro betters around Suma, coming back on the other side on Beat the Closing Number, presented by TheLines.com. You're listening to the Lines.com Podcast Network. Looking for the latest player props and the best betting odds from the top U.S. sportsbooks all in one place? Then join us right here every day this season for free picks and best bets from the sports betting experts you can trust. 
Check out the Lines.com NFL Megapod as Matt Brown, Stephen Andrus, and Adam Candy break down every game for this weekend's football slate. Join the Coast to Coast podcast crew Mondays through Fridays as Nate Weitzer and Josh Lander bring you the best player props and game lines for Major League Baseball, the NBA, and the NFL. And tune in to Beat the Closing Line twice a week as Nicole Russo, Mo Nawara, and Eli Hershkovich dive into NFL opening lines, plus special guests from the sports betting world. So subscribe, rate, and review to the Lines Podcast Network, the source you can trust to make you a better sports better. Back here on Beat the Closing Number with Mo and myself, and time to bring in our guest, one of the best NFL bettors in the X betting space. It's not X-rated, it's just not Twitter betting space anymore. He is Fabian Zoma. We'll see how he grades my pronunciation there. You can follow him on Twitter, at Suma. That's how most Twitter podcasts pronounce it, I think, these days, so... If you want to call them out, you may as well. To start, Suma Etana, I should say, the Forward Progress podcast on the Hammer Betting Network. What's going on, baby? And I'll, I think I'll stick with your first name, and then we'll go from there on the podcast. <laughs> yeah, Eli Mo, thanks for having me on. Um, uh, regarding the pronunciation, very good, like a 9 out of 10, I would say. Pretty good. Like most people don't get it straight for the first time. So, yes, pretty good. Mo, do you want to give it a crack? Zoma. Zoma. And it's. Yeah, very good. Very use one N. There you go. There you go. Very I'm going to give Mo. I'm going to give Mo like an 8.5. And I'll, I'll take the nine. I'll take the nine out of 10 still. But like <laughs> I mentioned, Fabian is one of the years. Suma is one of the best pro betters around. Very well respected when it comes to the NFL betting market. And for those of you who don't know, Fabian's out in Germany. So not just your handicapping process in general, that's where I want to start before we dig into some of your favorite futures when it comes to the NFL betting market, but handicapping-wise, and then also just your, your viewing experience is completely different than what most people experience in the States because you're not awake for the Sunday night game, or maybe you're recording some <laughs> games depending on how your sleep schedule's doing throughout the week. So why don't you break it down for our listeners here, how you go about uh, the NFL, especially because your how you watch games is definitely counters the way most Americans watch the NFL and bet on it, especially live. Oh, yes. Yeah. So um, over here in, in Germany or Europe, so to speak, uh, we had the NFL Game Pass for like, I don't know, 10 years or something. And now it's... Uh, it was bought by the zone so basically we can watch every single game live uh, like in 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 every possible way next day we can watch the 40 version we can watch the all 22 at some point during the week we can basically w- watch every live action that we want and yeah i mean over in germany uh, nfl sunday starts at 7 p.m in the evening so i can easily watch the first and and, and the late slate and yeah, the night game is rough. It's uh, it it uh, it starts at two thirty a.m. in the morning. I will usually start watching it, but at some point I'm I'm just gonna crash usually and uh, uh, fall asleep, and then I'm going to watch or, or rewatch uh, the rest of the game in the morning. And Monday, Thursday, it, it depends. Sometimes I stay awake. When I have a bet on the game, I tend to stay awake more often than not. And if I don't have a bet on a on a night game, I will just go to bed and uh, rewatch it in the morning when I wake up. What would you set the market on 
you watching and staying up for Sunday Night Football over the course of a 17-game regular season, or I guess 18 games, what would you set the market at? Um, for like, so, so basically, um, are we talking about like, um, 18 times three primetime games? Uh, 18 times three. So I would probably be in the, so, so over under 27, 28. I think I, I think I take the over <laughs> there. I'll, I'll give you some credit where it's due, but we want to <laughs> hit on some of your futures here as well. And before we do, how would you compare your handicapping process or maybe just explain and expand upon your handicapping process in general when it comes to the NFL, whether it's futures, evaluating the market in general week to week. And I know you don't have any bets on week one or anything like that, but just for our listeners that aren't familiar with your handicapping style. Yeah, so I usually don't have a huge futures portfolio i will bet a few regular regular season win totals i will bet a few maybe afc nfc super bowl outrights sometimes i will bet something during the season when i like a number when there are some decent buy low opportunities but uh, my bread and butter is uh, pretty much spreads and totals and um, i would say that i'm more of a subjective handicapper so to speak so um, I've been uh, using on or trying to build models um, mathematical models in the past I've uh, done power ratings uh, unit grades and all that stuff and all all that is a great or everything is a great supporting tool but primarily I'm just strictly focusing on the matchup on the field so to speak so um, I will do like um, rankings for every team like unit grades where I see each unit of every team secondaries offensive lines quarterbacks I will use a lot of tons of data like whatever metric you can think of uh, some metrics I'll try to build my own and I basically try to put everything together and come up with the best possible number on each game but it's more like a mental model than a mathematical model so i'm basically um, looking at what's the matchup um, anticipating injuries um, looking at looking at all the data uh, available and basically then formulating numbers on a game and when i see an edge on the market i will bet it and it's it's a process that basically goes from monday morning until sunday afternoon like uh, you can make numbers on a Monday morning, but they are subject to change throughout the uh, throughout the week. Like w when you are getting like s some new data, when you uh, find a few matchup nuances, uh, injuries, uh, line moves, and stuff like that. So, so, so you are basically um, constantly throughout the week uh, checking at everything possible and trying to get the best market entry or, on every game that you want to bet. Mo, before we get into futures, I just want to throw one thing at you. When it comes in, I know you said your model, because it's it's more innate than computer-centric maybe, but you said factoring in different variables, or you kind of alluded to that. And I, I went on a podcast during college basketball season, and I more so handicapped college basketball on a day-to-day -day basis going back to maybe half of last season and then five, six, seven years beyond that. And especially when I started to integrate my own mathematical model. And like you said, maybe not necessarily just going solely based off of that, but also using 
other factors. And one of them being, especially when it comes to the NFL, I'm curious in how you incorporate this into your handicapping process, rest. Because I think the perfect example was in, at least from a game standpoint, was in week four last year when the Dolphins were very banged up. Dolphin secondary was extremely banged up going into Cincinnati. That line spiked to, and again, I'm just talking surface level if you want to dive into a little bit more as you expand upon it. But that line opened, I want to say, maybe Cincinnati shaded towards two and a half, or maybe it was Miami juiced at plus three. Spun up all the way to four and a half, I think, by kick because of all the Tua concerns. So it wasn't just the secondary. And Cincinnati covered marginally, but still covered. So I'm kind of curious going into your, because there are two different sides of lines of thinking for that game. Just handicappers that maybe look from a numbers-centric model and say the Dolphins shouldn't be four and a half point dogs. But then those that incorporate numbers into rest advantage and all those other variables and say, well, if you factor in rest and theoretical schedule advantage and maybe a spot here, I know the word spot can be perceived as a negative in the betting space, but how would you kind of, if you want to take that example, or I know we're not deep into the NFL season. I know you don't have any week one bets, like I mentioned, but how do you factor in rest on a given week in general, or again, if you want to touch on that game in particular. Yes, yeah, so there are a lot of situations that I think about during each week and lots of stuff you can basically look back in your database, like when you have um, lines and all, all that uh, specific data going back to like 10 or 20 years, you can basically uh, scrape or query like every certain situation and um, depending on the sample size you can um, draw some conclusions that some situations might favor certain teams some might not lots of stuff i gotta gotta say that is basically always priced into the number so if there was an an obvious situation like miami week four last weekend since i think in week three they had the game against buffalo and they their defense was on the field for like 98 plays or something. It was a crazy heat game. So subjectively, that's hard to quantify, but subjectively that was a defense on a short week traveling to Cincinnati that was pretty gassed. And that week I also went back through my whole database like 20 years and looked at all instances where a, a team was or, or a, a certain unit was on the field for like 90 plus, 85 plus place and how they performed um, in the upcoming uh, week and the issue is that and, and it's pretty often the case with, with NFL is that the, the, the sample size was pretty tiny so there were not a lot of teams that were playing like 90 plus snaps on defense for example and having to travel on on a short week. I think that the sample size over the past uh, 20 years was something like seven or eight or something. So when, when you are dealing with these kind of situations, it, it's pretty hard to draw some quantitative conclusions. You can basically only approach that with a subjective mindset in my opinion, but there are some situations where you have a decent sample size where you can basically crunch all the numbers, but that's also mostly pretty much back in, in, into the market number. For example, like um, I know a, a few uh, scenes ago, like there was a lot of talk about teams over bye week. 
And what's pretty interesting is that teams of a bi-week were basically overrated for a long time and they pretty much underperformed against the spread. But at some point that was baked into the numbers, so the edge was pretty much gone. And that's basically all the stuff that you have to be aware of, that you basically have to look at all all the all the metrics data that you have at your disposal and just try to come up with the best possible solution to the problem. And sometimes it's it's a small sample size. You cannot quantify it. And sometimes you just have to take a more subjective approach to that stuff. It's good to know there's still room for some art in this game, but uh, I have to say <laughs> that I tried to uh, try to take the other side and fade all the all the people who loved the Bengals in that spot and uh, didn't work out for me. But uh, hopping into uh, your opinions for this coming season, one of the most, I would say, honestly, hottest teams in the market has probably been the Bears. They, after an absolutely atrocious season, obviously, they're actually having a pretty decent-sized win total and got people buzzing that they could challenge for the division. Justin Fields could win MVP. That's obviously, I think, for most people who have a clear head, one of the most insane numbers you can find <laughs> in the market right now. Hey, you uh, want to talk about an opinion being baked into the market already. I mean, 20 to 1 being priced alongside Lamar Jackson or close to it. Obviously, we'll get uh, Suma's opinion on that, but go ahead, Mo. Yeah, just like, sounds like you might be on the low side on the Bears. I know I definitely am. So could you tell us what you're thinking in that market? Yeah, so I like the Bears to go under their win total. Uh, one of the win totals that I like the most at, at, at the current price when you look at a book like Bet Chris. They are dealing, let me check, um, uh, Chicago Bears under seven and a half wins plus 118. In my opinion, that's a great number because we are basically talking about a true win total of 7.7, 7.75. And I mean, you just have to think about that rationally, in my opinion, like a, a team like the Bears that had the number one overall pick and that did not do too many roster upgrades over the offseason yes that there, there were some like a completely new line we can call up uh, dj moore as the new wide receiver one but overall it it's pretty tough for me to look at their schedule and find eight plus wins um and the biggest reason for that is that justin fields has been the or maybe not not the worst but one of the <laughs> worst passing quarterbacks over the past two seasons and and last season as well and people or some folks in the media like to draw comparisons to josh allen and his third year because josh allen used to be that very low profile passing quarterback he got stefan diggs and finally in his third year also combined with his rushing ability they uh, he somehow broke out completely but Josh Allen was one of the biggest outliers in the past 20 years or something. And when you compare Justin Fields and Josh Allen just in their second years, there's still a wild difference. For example, just to throw out some numbers here, Justin Fields in his second season, 54.4 uh, passing rate, minus 34.5 DBOA, dead last in the league minus 0.13 EPA per dropback on non-scrambles, also dead last. And Josh Allen in the second season was significantly better in like every 
single metric. So the starting point for both quarterbacks is completely different. Like Justin Fields has to make a major leap just to be on the second year level of Josh <laughs> Allen, let alone being close to his third season. And the Bears, their defense, yes, they got two new linebackers. They got Yannick Ngakwe, who doesn't want to stop the run at all. Secondary is not that much improved, in my opinion. So yeah, we are still bad. talking about a, yes, we are still talking about a bottom 12 defense. The offensive line is also dealing, uh, already dealing with an injury. Left guard Tevin Jenkins, who was pretty good last year, will start the season on IR. A rookie right tackle, second year left tackle. Cody Whitehair now has to switch again uh, from center to, to left guard potentially. Maybe they will start Dan Feeney, who they got um, um, uh, via a trade early in the week. Dan Feeney has not been good at all in his career. So, uh, I mean, it, it, it will take so much for Justin Fields to just be an average passing quarterback. And he even if he's an average passing quarterback... We are still looking at a bottom 12 defense, and then it will still be pretty hard, in my opinion, to win eight plus games. So, Chicago Bears under seven and a half, one of my favorites uh, in the regular season win total market. I'm right there with you. I wrote up this market multiple months ago on the lines, and basically everything you said was stuff I touched on. Uh, I loved Fields out of the draft, I don't like what I've seen from him so far. Unfortunately, uh, I'm really rooting for him. I want him to succeed, but he hasn't been good, and I think this defense is going to be really, really bad, Sa same as you. So I, I'm loving Bears under, and just to put one more stat at people, when it comes to EPA per play and, and funny how we were talking about comparing them to Josh Allen, the Bears' pass defense was so bad that they essentially turned opposing passing games into the bills last year that's how <laughs> bad they were it's yeah. it's hard to overstate the jump from that bad to like competent enough to have a winning record which is basically what they need to get close to to get over here it's also funny yes the overreaction to a screen pass to dj Moore and how that rate I, I mean it didn't change the betting market and it even funnier that this is now two bears quarterbacks granted mitch trubisky's price drop was extremely sliced. Like we're talking what, like a hundred to one to maybe 20 or something like it was a crazy drop going back to after what the year after the bears won the division and then they regressed under Matt Nagy, but that's another conversation for another day. So this is now two quarterbacks when the bears haven't had. And I know that's more of a historical context than anything that the bears haven't had a a franchise quarterback really in their tenure, I guess, since McMahon. But yeah, I'm I'm with you guys. I am not high on fields, especially the national media market that wants to overrate a 66-yard screen pass that gets housed in the preseason to DJ Moore. Let's see that. Let's see that translate into regular season success for fields, let alone into a 20 to 1 MVP ticket. But anyways, I digress, Mo. I, I live in Chicago Suma, so I naturally hate the Bears. I am not a Bears fan. I used to work in Chicago sports radio, and I have an aggressive stance against the Chicago Bears. There are some clips on Twitter where people um, dropped every Justin Fields dropback of that game. And, I mean, yes, it's preseason, but that looked like a college passer 
or something. Like, I mean, there was nothing to see there. He was dealing with some great pockets in, and yeah. he was missing plays left and right. I mean, if that's a sign for things to come, good luck, Bears. <laughs> Love the talent, but yeah, the processing speed just has not gotten there. Um, and Eli, I can tell you one time I watched a Bears game and was anti-sweating them in Chicago. Not a good experience. I felt like people were giving us some very dirty looks in there. Um, <laughs> yeah. Let's talk about one of the teams Eli likes, which is the Cowboys. I like them a little bit too, and I feel like obviously the market's like really high on the Eagles, and I am too. I think the Eagles have an awesome team. Eli's a bit higher uh, on the Cowboys than I am, so uh, where do you stand on them? Uh, the Cowboys are one of my top teams going to the season. I'm pretty, pretty high on them. I think um, the Eagles and the Cowboys are like the top tier in the NFC and I only have the, the Cowboys marginally uh, below the Eagles. And um, when you look at this team, um, I think there's a good case to be made that the Cowboys, at least on paper, have the best defense in the league. Um Defensive performance is generally hard to predict. Uh, there's a lot of variance involved, but just from a talent perspective, when you look at their defensive line, when you look at their secondary, I think there's a good case to be made that they have the best defense top to bottom in the league. And on offense, um, with Dak Prescott over the last two uh, seasons, this has been a top eight offense by like almost every efficiency metric that you look at. And that was with the Cowboys giving Ezekiel Elliott like 200 plus carries yeah. each season for whatever reason. I <laughs> makes zero sense, but they did it even though Tony Pollard was like five times the the electric player that uh, Zeke Elliott was. Last, last season, um, Dak was basically playing with one healthy and solid uh, receiver in the passing game that was CD Lamb. Michael Gallup was coming off that ACL tier and he, he was a shell of his former self. Dalton Schultz had two separate, I think, PCL injuries and was playing through it. He also had, like I think, I think three drop passes that turned into interceptions just last season alone. And the, the third right receiver on the roster was Noah Brown. And this season, yes, Jake Ferguson, we don't need to talk about him. Uh, basically a, a very low floor at the title position. <laughs> but offensive line is at least in week one better than last year with Tyron Smith coming back. Um, CD Lamp, now you have Bretton Cooks at your wide receiver two and you have Michael Gallup dropping into the wide receiver three spot one more year removed from that ACL injury. And I think that alone is a significant upgrade over last season. I'm not as low on Mike McCarthy and Brian Scottenheimer when it comes to designing offenses and play calling. Um, I think Mike McCarthy, when he was at Green Bay over the last couple of years, he was extremely pass-heavy on early downs. Brian Scottenheimer had one season where Russell Wilson was like shredding defenses with a high pass rate on early downs. So it's not that, not like this hasn't been there for those two guys. I think just the overall offense Dak, the O-line, the receiving group is just too good to not be like at least a borderline top 10 offense. And when you think about it, borderline top 10 offense, maybe the best defense in the league on paper, that should 
be one of the best teams in the NFC. And what's also uh, important to notice, in my opinion, that because they have such a projected easy path in the in the NFC, I think they are also a sleepy Super Bowl contender because there are not a lot of juggernauts to beat in the NFC. Yeah, I'm with you there. We didn't necessarily talk about Cowboys Super Bowl odds. We only talked about one there, and maybe we'll get your take in a second because Mo and I are low. We agree on one team in the AFC North in terms of lower on that than the rest of the market, but Mo doesn't agree with my Super Bowl take from that division. So I do want to get your opinion. But Cowboys, I bet them to win the division at plus 195 earlier in the week. So we're in, we have the same sentiment when it comes to Dallas, especially on the defensive side of the ball. I am maybe a little bit more concerned about the offensive coordinator shift from Moore. And you make a good point about Schottenheimer still shown or has a history of being pass heavy, especially going back to his days with Russell Wilson. But just tempo and pace wise, that's my only concern, especially because McCarthy does have a history, even though he was pass heavy in Green Bay, to kind of slow things down, which kind of negates Prescott's upside, maybe helps his turnover case to regress in a positive direction. But I digress with Dallas. I'm with you overall, especially, like I said, on defense. So really quickly, before we get your long shot to win the AFC, which it comes from, stems from the division I just talked about, the or at least alluded to, the AFC North. So I have a win total bet under on Cincinnati. Mo at least agrees with the notion that the Bengals may underperform the market's consensus. And with Burrow back, most of the betting market is back up to 11.5, which shaded towards the under. I think minus 140, maybe the best number you can get on Cincinnati in, in terms of the win total. So curious your perspective there. And the, before we get your long shot, also want to get your take on Ravens and Browns. So I guess your full take on the division, because I had the Ravens Super Bowl bet at 25 to 1. Markets definitely shifted that a little bit since mid-May down down to 18 to 1. Mo has a bet on the Browns to win the AFC North at plus 400. And then you have a bet on the other team. So give us your full perspective here on the division, depending on how you want to look at things. Yeah, so first of all, I mean, everyone is talking about the AFC to be uh, AFC East to maybe be the best uh, division in the league. But I think that the AFC North has a lot of upside in that regard as well. I mean, um, the, the interesting thing is that, like, except for the Bengals, like, all the other three teams have, a, have an interesting range of outcomes um, in terms of variance on the quarterback position. Um, Ravens, yes, they have Lamar Jackson, but it's a completely new scheme, new receiving group. So new OC, new scheme, like something completely different from what they have been running over the past couple of uh, uh, years with uh, under Greg Roman. So there might be some growing pains early in the season. We don't know at what level Odell Beckham is going to come back. Rashad Bateman will not be at 100% week one after his Liz Frank injury. Zaya Flowers looks like, looks like the real deal, but... They basically need more juice on the wide receiver position to possibly run the scheme that that we are expecting from Todd Monken. I think on the season, this could be really, really good. I'm also high on the Ravens just in terms of their upside. 
Yes, they could be a little bit slow to start the season, but as the, I think as the season progresses and they get more familiar w with the scheme, this could be pretty good be because I'm also high on Lamar Jackson and I fully expect him to be able to run that uh, specific scheme. Um, Cleveland Browns, I mean, what are we going to get from the Sean Watson? Like, this is a super talented team. I think their defense is going to be significantly improved. Uh, especially their defensive line, like three new starters. Like over the past couple of years, they basically had Miles Garrett and then nobody else. Even Jadavion Clowney, he was playing through injuries and uh, was not really that Clowney that we or, or that the Browns hoped they would get. And now we are looking at um, Shelby Harris, Zadarius Smith. Zadarius Smith can kick inside on passing downs with. Um, the the third pass rusher whose name I cannot remember and always forget <laughs> was coming over f from the Houston Texans. So with Jim Schwartz at, at DC, I think this is going to be a much better defense. And then, yeah, offensively, good scheme, good play caller, great offensive line. Uh, Mary Cooper, David Njoku, Eli Moore. On paper, like Sean Watson has no excuses. They are going to run a different scheme not all this um, heavy look, condensed, um, play-action-heavy Brown um, scheme that we use from the past. We are going to see a lot more MT, a lot more, a lot more 11 personnel, uh, basically what Deshaun Watson did well at Houston, but we don't know what Deshaun Watson we're going to get. So there are some variants there. I mean, if Watson is good, this is going to be one of the best AFC teams. But the same, I would also argue for the Steelers and that's where where my long shot um, AFC future lies like uh, the the second year quarterback jump is very real like when you look at the history of the game when when you compare numbers of rookies versus second year quarterbacks like the second year jump is, is very very real it's it's the biggest jump in terms of efficiency whether it's EPA per play or whatever for quarterbacks so the Steelers, they are going to have a, I would say, solid offensive line. They maybe upgraded slightly at two positions. Um, they are returning all other guys. They added a, a rookie left tackle um, in the draft. Not sure whether he's going to start a week run or not. But that, that offensive line, I think, is not bad and will not be a, a major issue. They have a very intriguing receiving group with George Pickens, Deontay Johnson, uh, Pat Fryermuth, uh, Donnell Washington, who is likely going to be eased into the offense, maybe on some uh, 12 personnel looks. I was pretty down on uh, Matt Canada, the OC, last year because I thought that the scheme was pretty vanilla. We don't know whether that was like stubbornness on Canada's part or whether they just didn't trust um, can you pick it to, to run a, a more open offense? But going to the second year, like everything is set up for a jump by Kenny Pickett. And I, th and I think we already saw it in the preseason. The Steelers are suddenly throwing deep. Everything looks surgical. Yes, it's the preseason. Yes, it's a sample size of five drives. But I also think it's very hard to fake these five drives when you when you know what I mean. So... Um, if Kenny Pickett is good, I think this is going to be a very good Steelers team with a decent defense, with one of the best defensive lines in football. And yeah, if you combine that, they 
might be be maybe the best team in the AFC North or at least playing for the division title if Kenny Pickett is good. So there's a decent, I think, thick tail towards the upside uh, condition on whether Kenny Pickett is good. You can get them at uh, 30 to 1 to win the AFC, which is a number I like. I think it's a little bit too high when you think that um, or when you think at just uh, just about the macro perspective on the team. And yeah, and from a football fan perspective, like just imagine if Kenny Pickett is good, if Deshaun Watson is good, this is going to be the best division in football and we are going to have like um, a lot of great divisional games. Yeah, and again, for people that maybe want to counter that with that they're not a fan of Pickett, well, the floor is baked into the numbers. So again, that's kind of where if you're looking at things from a roster construction or even a specific player, you may say, okay, the I kind of sided with the floor. Well, then you're not getting a ton of value unless you maybe want to look at a win total under or something like that for Pittsburgh. But that's where looking at a number, like you mentioned in Pittsburgh, where all those potential outcomes are already baked in. And that's why you're getting a 30 to one ticket on the Steelers. So makes a ton of sense for betters that are maybe just jumping into wagering in general. To wrap up, I know you're a Jets fan, Suma. So Mo and I didn't even talk about touch on the AFC East because we don't have any futures bets in that division. But you look at week one, Jets are, I think the markets jumped down Buffalo a little bit now around two, two and a half. So depending on how long you want to go with it before we get you out of here, how are you looking at the Jets from a fan standpoint and also just market wise? So these are two completely different things. So from a <laughs> from a fan perspective, like I started watching football, I think in 2009, which was the first Rex Ryan season. And yeah. even though the Jets made the AFC Championship game like in back-to-back -back years, this is the first season in my entire football or fandom life that I might be looking at a good Jets offense. So that's already a, a W in, in my book. And um, when, you, when I think about, about the market perspective, so the Jets are second uh, to win the AFC East at, at around plus 300, plus minus. I think that's very fair. I also think that they should be marketed ahead of the Dolphins, especially when you think about the length of the season because Tua Tagovailoa has to be um, or has to have some more injury risk than than, than other quarterbacks. Um, week one, great game. Buffalo Bills on Monday night. Um, at this current number, I, I slightly lean towards the Bills here uh, just because there is still some uncertainty with the Jets. Offensive line, Mekhi Brecht at right tackle. He's just coming back from from two very big injuries he hasn't played in he hasn't played a regular season snap in in two years Dwayne Brown has missed almost all of training camp 38 years old starting at left tackle in week one um, and we can't be entirely sure that we are going to get a top 10 offense um, Aaron Rodgers, 40 years old, he wasn't that great last year at Green Bay. So I'm probably expecting a, a, a quarterback efficiency th that is back between last year and his last MVP season. It might be a top 10 Jets offense. It might only be a borderline top 15 offense. And when it comes to the Bills, 
I mean, this is arguably be uh, this is arguably the the best team in the league, top to bottom, and this will be one heck of an opening night for the Jets. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, Bills minus two and a half. Um, I think it it was a little, little bit lower, like like a few weeks ago. Uh, yeah, Bills took a, a little bit more money since then. I think rightfully so. We just can't be sure what we are going to get from the Jets. We can be pretty sure what we're going to get, or or, or we can be more sure what what we can um, expect from the Bills. So I think that line somewhere between minus two and uh, minus two and a half Bills minus three is probably spot on. He is Suma. You can follow him at that name, Suma810 on Twitter, Pro NFL Better, co-host, like I mentioned, at the Hammer Network, Betting Network, Forward Progress podcast with one of the best in the business as well, Rob Pizzola. So definitely want to check out his work. Definitely want to maybe tail some of his bets. Very, very well-respected gambler when it comes to the NFL betting market. Thanks so much for joining us on our first futures edition of Beat the Closing Number, man. Really appreciate it. Ilamo, thanks for coming on, and I wish you a lot of success and a good start into the season. Thank you, man. And for our listeners on YouTube, remember to hit the thumbs up button. If you're listening to us on Apple, Spotify, wherever you find your favorite podcast, five-star review, all that good stuff. Thanks for watching and listening to the first ever edition of Beat the Closing Number, or at least for the 2023 NFL season, presented by thelines.com. 